0: All right, great to see you out second service on I Love America Day, and is starting a new series today that addresses the primary need of all people, the people who live around us, the people in our country, and people around the world. And our series is called the Religion of Enough. Yeah, the first message is going to be from Luke chapter 18, and if you want to start turning that direction, Luke chapter 18, uh, as a church, our church purpose statement is serving God by serving others, and if you've never heard that, then you've never been here because we say it just about every week, and it's on the walls, and we want to remember it. What does it come from? It comes from two statements that Jesus made called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Jesus said in the Great Commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and that's worship. That's the purpose of the local church. He said to love your neighbor as yourself, that's ministry. Uh, Jesus also said in the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that's evangelism. He said to bring people into the fellowship of the local church through baptism, and yeah, that's fellowship. And then to train them to observe all things, that's called discipleship. And so those are the five purposes that we have as a church because they're given to us by Jesus Christ, and our next steps cover each one of those purposes. So the next steps that are coming up on Je- uh, July 14th will cover uh, class 101, which is the purpose of fellowshipping with the church, knowing more about what we believe, why we believe in, how we practice it. And if you've never taken class 101, uh, see this little beautiful lady in red. Uh, there's only one red in this whole section uh, that's completely red. Now, Penny's got some red. Uh, but Amy's right here. And see her after the service today to sign up for class 101. And we want you to do it. It's going to be July 14th, uh, from four to eight o'clock, we will provide dinner. We'll also provide ch- child care. And so don't miss that. We're also offering that night class 201 for those who've already done 101. And it's called Discovering Spiritual Maturity. It goes with the church purpose of discipleship. And we hope that you can come and take those classes. If you need 301 and 401, uh, those are coming soon. Hopefully in August, we'll be able to offer those classes. So Sign up in the lobby, ask Amy questions, and we're going to have a great time with that. Also, don't forget, today's the last day uh, that you can give deacon nominations, and you can get those back at Connection Point. Our annual church business meeting is July 21st, 530, followed by an ice cream social and all-American softball. You can't beat it, right? Uh, This is American as you can get. Uh, today, hope you'll stay for the picnic right afterward, and then there's some softball out on the back sports field, and we're looking forward to that. If you'd pray for me this week, I have uh, one last summer trip that I have to do, and I'm headed for India on Tuesday, and uh, so be praying for our meetings there throughout this week. Uh, it's so unique how God is bringing some things together. We have worked for about 10 years In India, and many folks from Centennial have actually gone there uh, on mission trips. And we were working with a church leader named Justice Banwell. And Brother Justice, uh, really a modern day Apostle Paul, he started almost 500 churches in southern India. And last year, he uh, got sick uh, just kind of right on the spot, just in his early 60s, and he passed away last year. And we haven't had any ability to go in and check on the churches and, and be able to finance things and get scripture over there. And, and so we have a contact, uh, Justice Son-in-Law is a medical doctor, cardiologist, and he's been communicating with me on social media. And he said, listen, we, we have a church building, a brand new building that we want to dedicate, but we can't get anyone to come. And so I said, well, why didn't you ask me? Uh, I'll, I'll come because I want to see what's going on over there, and, uh, and so I'm headed there this week. Well, Last night, uh, I got a, a call at about 8 o'clock at night uh, from Missouri, and I thought, this is a weird time for somebody from Missouri to call me, and it's probably not a sales call, although it could be, right? How many of you have ever gotten a, a sales call like on a Sunday morning during church? Yeah, right, that's why you turn your phone off when you come to church, um, So anyway, I didn't answer it, and the guy left a voicemail. He is a scripture printing ministry leader in Missouri, and he has partnered with that ministry in India already and sent 7 million scriptures over there in the last 10 years or so. And so he was wanting to know, I heard you're going, what's happening? And they're trying to restart the foundation, they've opened new bank accounts, and And uh, really, there are three legs to what needs to happen there. There's the scripture printing ministry that needs to happen. There's the financial part that needs to happen. And then there's the pastor fellowship and training that needs to happen. And so we talked for quite a while. And uh, God's bringing some things together. And I really want you to be praying uh, about uh, those churches, the Calvary Baptist churches in southern India, as we meet with them this week. And looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. And we're going to have a great time here next Sunday. Uh, We are bringing in a pastor named Pastor Chad Adams to speak to you, a guest pastor. And you're really going to enjoy him. He's from Georgia, and he's funny. Okay? Now, he may not be as funny as I am, because I know I'm funny. Like, there are are limits. But, uh, no, he's a good guy. And, uh, you know, first service just thinks I'm hilarious. And I don't know what your problem is in here with second service, but first service thinks I'm a hoot and a holler, Uh, but we're going to have a a great time with that. Let's look at Luke 18 as we get started this morning, and we're going to read a parable of Jesus here in this passage, Luke 18 at verse number nine, and he spake this parable, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a Republican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this, Dirty, rotten publican, I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, tax collector, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, in this passage, it's pretty clear the contrast that Jesus offers uh, these two two people with completely opposite attitudes. One thinks he's righteous, the other knows he's not. And we're going to see today how self-righteousness, which is kind of a churchy term, And enough are tied at the hip. Oh, self-righteous is religious sounding. In our society today, uh, they do surveys all the time on religion and belief. And there's a certain segment of the society, and it's growing every year, percentage of people on religious surveys, they're the ones who mark none of the above. And they may not really have a problem with God, It may just be that they have a problem with church, or maybe they have a problem with Christians, right? It's kind of like Gandhi said, I really like your Christ, I just don't like Christians. And that's sort of how sometimes people think when they're unchurched or they're away from God. And so there's a segment of our society that they don't want to discuss religion, but they definitely use the word enough. And if you listen carefully, you will hear the word enough everywhere, especially when it comes to these things that we deal with in society, like anxiety, loneliness, division, exhaustion, uh, things that plague our society. In fact, how many of you, for whatever reason, have ever said these three words, I've had enough. How many ever said that before? Okay. Hopefully you didn't say it to your husband or wife, right? Hopefully you didn't say it to your kids. Hopefully you said it at the end of a Thanksgiving meal, right? I've had enough. Because there's the one way where it's about, you know, too much of a good thing. And there's the other way where it's like, okay, that's it. I've had enough. there was a prophet in the Bible named Elijah. And Elijah uh, had gone up on top of a mountain which has the most interesting name of all the Bible mountains called Mount Carmel, right? How many of you like to go there, right? It's like it's chocolate Sunday, Carmel, Mount Carmel. This is good stuff. And he went up on Mount Carmel, and he did the most unique thing <clears throat> that you could ever think. He called fire down from heaven to uh, to burn up a sacrifice, and, uh, and then he defeated 450 false prophets on top of Mount Carmel. Well, the next morning, uh, their wicked queen, her name was Jezebel, uh, kind of a wicked-sounding name even, Jezebel sent out a warrant for his death. She said, kill him. Everybody kill him. I'll pay a reward. And Elijah ran. Uh, And he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran from the top of Israel to the bottom of Israel, Uh, He left his stuff and his servant at the bottom of Israel in Beersheba, and then he ran more 80 miles out into the wilderness. That's a lot of running. And uh, when he got out into the wilderness, he sat down under a juniper tree, and he said to God, it is enough. Now, Lord, take away my life. He said, I've had enough. And it's interesting that his biggest victory led to his lowest defeat. And a lot of times when we're on top of the world and things are good with family and good with work and good with whatever, then all of a sudden they come crashing down. And we say it is enough. And so this word enough is already in our vernacular. It's already one that we talk about. Uh, people are around you maybe, or maybe even you are talking about being successful enough. Now, have you ever heard somebody talk about being happy enough? Right? Now, maybe you've heard this one, to be thin enough. Right? Now, how many would say, I'm thin enough? Right? Only four people in the whole room, like I'm thin enough. And one of them is Michael, he's like 14 years old. That's not even fair, my friend, you can't do that to us. To as adults. But most, most adults are like, uh, if I could just be thin enough or I could be strong enough or if I could be wealthy enough, if I could have enough influence, uh, if I could be desired enough or good enough. People start to think that if they make it to enough, that they'll be enough. But it's like chasing a mirage. The threshold doesn't really exist. And yet, enoughness drives people in society. Another word for this that we use sometimes in church is self-justification. Religious people want to feel righteous. Non-religious people want to feel that they're enough. It's the same thing. Enoughness, self-righteousness, they're both the same thing, and they only make sense If there's some kind of line that's been marked off, that's not enough. Uh, In church, we say unrighteous, sinful. That's the way God addresses it. Uh, That's pretty old-fashioned in modern times, right? Uh, We're in a culture where we're not sinners anymore. We're mistakers. Uh, Sinful is too churchy and preachy and judgy, and we don't like that. Enough and not enough are far less threatening terms. But today I want to show you that they mean the same exact thing as righteous and not righteous. And they're both spiritual treadmills that never get to the destination. And so let's look at it in four ways this morning. The notes are in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Let's start with the universal longing. The universal longing enoughness lives inside of our human DNA. You go back to the Garden of Eden, and uh, here's Adam and Eve. They have everything that you could ever want, right? They've been placed into a perfect environment. They have uh, all of the things that God has made in a perfect way. And yet, the very first temptation comes through the serpent, and the serpent says, if you eat this fruit... You'll be enough. You'll be like God. You get to choose what's right and wrong for yourself. And that's what everybody seems to want in society. They want to be able to define their own right and wrong. Well, Adam and Eve had two sons, uh, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel both brought an offering to God in Genesis 4. Abel brought what was pleasing to God. That was enough. Cain brought what wasn't pleasing to God. And then he got mad when it wasn't enough. And so enough is in our DNA. We want to feel good about ourselves. And uh, this may or may not have happened to people in this room, this next part we're going to talk about. So if you've ever done this, like don't raise your hand, don't stand up, okay? Just kind of internalize. Uh, Sometimes people are known to selectively edit their personalities, right? To make themselves look good enough to other people or to enhance their hardships. Say, oh, my life is rough. It's, it's just horrible. Things are bad. And, uh, and we do this to ourselves. We, we manage our own enoughness this way. And sometimes we do it with stress, We're saying, I am so stressed. I've got so much on my plate. Like, well, what do you have on your plate? And people start telling you what's on their plate, you know what most of it is? Things that they put on their plate, right? So it's kind of like if you have a plate and you put a thing of mashed potatoes and a thing of roast and a thing of carrots and a thing of pudding, and you put it all on your plate and then you said, I have too much on my plate, right? And the next question is going to be, well, who put it there? Right? So we do this in our society. We're like, I'm so stressed. I have so many things going on. Well, what do you got? Well, i got to go to the gym. Okay, but who made, who's making you do that? Uh, i got to go get my nails done. Uh, i got to go uh, to the hair salon. I've got to go buy new boots, whatever it is. Now, I've got to have enough. It's all about enough. And we are the ones who self-manage this. And, I, and sometimes we even create villains to obtain pity from other people. And, and even in the church world, we create villains by fighting other groups or other churches or uh, other religious organizations that we can attack, so it makes us look better. Right? Uh, the first church we worked for was outside of Dallas, and the pastor was a—he was a nice guy, but he—he he said, uh, "If you don't have an enemy, you're not really doing anything." And so he always tried to find an enemy. And if he didn't have an enemy, he would make one. Right? It's kind of crazy. If he didn't have an enemy, he would say, that Connie, that Connie Hayne. I tell you what, she's always on my case, and and he'd make an enemy out of Connie. Now, how many understand that nobody in the world can make an enemy out of Connie Hayne? But this guy would. He'd turn Connie, and then he'd get up and preach. Like, I tell you what, the devil's been at work in our church this week. And uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but there's a woman here today, and she plays the piano at church, and uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but she's just really been used by the enemy this week uh, to hurt our church. And everybody's like, <gasps> and they're like, oh, who plays the piano? Oh, I think I know who plays the piano, right? Because only one person played the piano. Yeah, so they kind of figured out who it was. And, and so he always had an enemy, right? Listen, we have enough enemies without making other Christians our enemy, right? The world and the flesh and the devil are big enough enemies without making other believers our enemy. And even other church groups and other pastors and other denominations, listen, if they believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave and that he was born of a virgin and that the Bible is the word of God, they're our friends, not our enemies, And we should work together in the kingdom of God. But sometimes we create villains. And it becomes our motivation. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about what makes people tick around you. Maybe even you. Trace the enoughness or the righteousness that's in play. And things will become clear. Uh, Like your friend who can't stop working. She equates busyness with worthiness. She thinks, if I work enough, I'll be enough. Or your single friend who can't ever find someone that measures up to his standards. And it could be that he's looking for the person to complete him, to make him enough, to make him where he feels enough. By the way, that is not the basis of relationships, right? If you're looking for someone uh, to make you enough enough, you're starting already with the problem. And it doesn't matter what the movies say. If a guy ever gets in the elevator and says, you complete me, it's still not going to make you enough. All right? <laughs> it's not how it works. And, but people are looking to be enough. They, they're looking for enough. And, and maybe the reason you can't stop scrolling social media is because it confirms how right your opinions are. Your opinions are good enough. Or if your post gets... Enough likes, you can finally like yourself. Any drive to validate your existence is tied to this pursuit of enoughness, your self-righteousness. It's a universal longing. This Pharisee thought that he was surely enough. The publican couldn't see how he would ever be enough. That brings us to this next part, the basis of judgment. So there's a universal longing and then there's the basis of judgment. How do we judge ourselves? How do we look at our own lives? How do we uh, get to this place where we figure out what's right and wrong? If you look again in Luke 18, this Pharisee, uh, I want to read it in verse eight, or verse 11 again. He said, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. All right, this is the basis of his judgment. He's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like Isaac. God, I thank you that I'm not like Austin. God, I for sure thank you that I'm not like... You fell in the blank, right? Everybody thought I was going to say Steve, but I would never say that, Steve. Never say that about you. God, I'm so good because he's so bad. And I thank you that I'm not this, and I'm not that, but especially that I'm not like this guy. And this Pharisee had such a righteous mind that he was different, he was better, he was enough, primarily because other people weren't. He didn't choose to compare himself with the standard of God's holiness, but with his own standard of how holy the people around him were. This is classic enoughness, right? The the basis of judgment is whatever I determine it to be. Now, this is what our society is preaching on a daily basis. This is humanism at its core. It says, listen, I get to decide what's right and wrong for myself. I get to become my own God. I get to say what's good enough and what's not good enough. And this is happening all around us. And if we're not careful, it's happening to us. Right? It's crept into our lives. Because if we have enoughness, we can find a way to justify ourselves and to paint ourselves as good enough. And if good means better than another person, we can all find a way to be considered good. Ironically, it's our expression of enough that alienates us from other people. We belong to the in crowd because we go to church. And the people who aren't enough belong to the out crowd. We're the sheep, they're the goats, or whatever name you want to call them. And we're able to quickly judge the motives of other people and even other groups of people. It becomes us versus them instead of us versus sin. Jesus termed this mindset as hypocrisy. And he constantly called out the Pharisees for their basis of righteousness. There's a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, and he said said it this way. There is no deeper pathos in the spiritual life of man than the cruelty of righteous people. Here's what he meant. People who think they're good are usually pretty mean. right? People who think they're good enough, they're usually pretty mean to the people who aren't good enough. Because self-righteousness always follows self-justification around. And if I am enough, then you aren't enough. People who are good enough quickly notice others who aren't. We were at a pastor's conference this week. And it's always interesting at pastor's conferences, uh, because there's little cliques and people who already know each other. And uh, I love going to pastor's conferences. They crack me up because... uh, some groups have like this secret handshake where they already know each other and they call each other bro and doc and, and professor or whatever they call each other, and uh, and then they're in their own little clique and their own their own group and nobody else can quite measure up to their group, right? If somebody else walks by, like you know, or somebody else doesn't know the secret handshake, they don't know that you're supposed to call each other doc, right? Hey doc, how's it going? And if you don't know all these secret things, you're not in the in-group. Now, there are all sorts of societal things like this, right? Uh, There are bikers who feel like uh, they're in and other people aren't in, right? There are lawyers who feel like they're in and other people don't measure up. There are school teachers who feel like we're school teachers and other people aren't, and so we're our group's the best. Uh, there, There are people from every group in society who feel this way. And you've been around these groups your whole life where enoughness is on the table. If I'm enough, you aren't. And people who are good enough, they always notice the ones who aren't. Whether we're at church, uh, whether we're at a social gathering, where we're at the store, we always notice this. There are people who judge themselves as okay because they've looked around and they definitely have a better shine than their neighbor's. But then there are the publicans, the people who don't need anybody in the room to feel badly about themselves. They already know they fall short. They already know they're not enough. Do you know the most accomplished people on earth often feel more, not less, pressure to succeed? The best-looking people notice their blemishes more than anyone else. This is part of our humanity. We want to be enough. And the people who are on the covers of magazines, you know what happened to those magazines before they got printed? They airbrushed their not-enoughness. Isn't that crazy? Like, you look at a person who's on the cover, they go, whoa, she's pretty. I wish I could be enough like her. And then what you don't know is that they had to airbrush her face because she got zits all over her face, right? And, and she just had life suction, uh, last week. And she got her lips uh, enhanced, and she had laser this and laser that, right? Uh, you guys can laugh. It's okay. It's church. Um, but, but we get into this deal where we've got to try to be enough. Now, this becomes this third part, the never-ending pursuit. Uh, because the higher we climb on the ladder of enough, And the longer uh, that we're on the ladder, the the ladder keeps growing. The rungs get further apart. The ladder gets higher. Being good enough never reaches a destination. It's a ship without a port. It's a train without a station. It's always looking to the next qualifier. The pursuit of righteousness is what leads us to the reality of unrighteousness. Here's what's curious about American culture. Most of American culture today, uh, when we talk about progressivism in media uh, or even in government or society, uh, American culture is doing everything it can to remove God from the public square, even from the private square. And yet the needs that are addressed by church and by, re- by religion, hope, peace, connection, enoughness. Those needs haven't diminished. There are churches all across America that close every week. For the final time, they close their doors and they become karate clubs and coffee shops and theaters. And yet the emotional needs of the people who mark none of the above on the surveys haven't evaporated. They can't evaporate. They have nowhere to go. And with church altars off the table, Targets have crept up all over the place. The kitchen, the gym, the computer screen, the bedroom. Changing terms has not changed the primary human need. And just because the carnal society has cut the head off of what they think is a religious centipede, what they don't know is they've divided into a bunch of other needs. They're trying to escape the judgment feel of church. They don't want anybody to tell them right and wrong, and they've traded it for the judgment feel of a daily or even hourly basis on their social media feeds, in their many roles in life, and it is exhausting. People are trying to be enough physically, financially, morally, relationally, socially, educationally. And they figure out, finally, that they can't ever reach enough. That's why, in modern society, there are more drugs being prescribed than ever before. There are more addictions than ever before. There's more depression than ever before. Because people are trying to get enough, but they're trying to do it without God. The Tower of Babel... They came together and they said, you know what? We're good enough and we're smart enough to get to heaven on our own. Let's start making some bricks and we'll build the tower all the way to heaven. Which it wasn't going to happen. But they came together and they said, if we put all our minds together, we're going to be so smart And if we put all our abilities together, we're going to be so able, and we're going to be able to build a tower of enoughness to God. And that's what humanity has been doing ever since. They can't ever reach enough, especially without God. And it's impossible to get there. But I want to finish today with this fourth part, which really gets to the core of this the simple solution. And I want to go back to verse number 13 in Luke 18 verse number 13 and the publican standing afar off so he, he didn't even want to really be in the temple he he didn't even want to get close would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven but smote upon his breast saying god be merciful to me a sinner I'm sure you know this, but the primary need of mankind can only be met if we first admit that it's there. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Folks, we are not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus offered clarity for those who are looking for good enough. He made it very plain. His helpful advice is that no person on this earth will ever reach the top on his own. Nobody will ever be good enough. Nobody will ever be righteous on his own or her own. For all have said and come short of the glory of God. And it's not about coming short of your neighbor's morals or coming short of your aunt's character or not surfing the web as much as your coworker does on the job or keeping the speed limit better than your cousin. Or not stealing as much as your high school friend who's in the state pen. See, those forms of judgment are the religion of enough. I'm enough because he's not. I'm enough because she's not. And we measure ourselves and we compare ourselves with ourselves. But Corinthians says, when we compare ourselves to ourselves... It's not wise because there's always somebody who's higher than you. There's always somebody who's smarter than you. There's always somebody who's got better hair than you do. Right? And some of you are looking at her like, what? There's nobody who has better hair than I do. And there's always somebody who's got bigger muscles than you. There's always somebody who's got a tinier waist than you do. Right? There's always somebody who's got everything better than what you have it. And when you start to look for enough, by comparison, you quickly figure out that we fall short. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none good enough, no, not one. I want you to get this. This is really the, the, the main part of the message today that I want you to get. As humans, we're all in this category. Needs Mercy. This is the category we're all in, needs mercy. Jesus said he was telling this parable to people in verse 9 who trusted in themselves that they were righteous so that they could see the contrast between trying to be good enough and realizing there's never good enough. Jesus was talking to the crowd that despised others and who thought other people were inferior to them based on their own definitions of morality and goodness. And friends, we all need mercy. Every single one of us, we need mercy. Isn't it interesting uh, that we really only believe in mercy when we need it? You don't believe in mercy for the guy who cuts you off at the stoplight. No. You don't believe in mercy uh, for the neighbor who doesn't spray their weeds, right? You don't believe in mercy for them. You don't believe in mercy uh, for the people who let their kids cough in public, right? You don't believe in mercy for all these groups of people until it's you. And then it's like, well, he's just got a cold right now, right? Well, I was just trying to get somewhere fast and I didn't see the light, But I was this, and I self justification is the religion of enough. It's who we are at the core of our humanity. And we are trying to figure out how to be good enough on our own. And so Jesus tells this parable, and he said, All human beings are in one category needs mercy. And here's what's so cool about God's mercy. There is enough. There is enough of God's mercy. The road to self-justification never gets to enough. But the road to justification by faith in Jesus Christ is more than enough. I love what it says in Romans. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the point from Romans 5. If you aren't a sinner, there's no Savior for you. If you think you're enough on your own, there can never be enough for you. That's who the Pharisee was, God I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. I'm elite. I'm righteous. I know how to church. I know how to temple. I know how to keep commandments. My tithe is on the penny. I've got everything figured out about my core spiritual nature, except for the fact that I'm a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't talk about any of his own faults because that's how Pharisees live. Now, say, Pastor, how do you know how Pharisees think so well? Because I are one. That's improper English. But you're one too. How do I know? Because all human beings have Pharisaical tendencies. We all have the religion of enough built into our carnal nature. We've all got these things where we think that we're good enough because he's not and she's not. But the publican said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm in the human category. Needs mercy. But if you're in the human category today and you know that you need God's mercy, as we close in prayer, I, I hope you'll speak to God about what's in your heart. Let's pray together. God,